There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. And good morning, Phil here, and thank you so much to Robbo who filled in for us last week. It's, uh, it was nice to have a week off, but uh, it's nice to be with you today, wherever you are around Australia. And my guest today is not with me here in the studio. In fact, he's not even in the country. Sheridan Voisey, uh, who will be well known to, uh, to many of you. And uh, if not, then you're in for a treat this morning, because I know Sheridan's always got great things to say, and he's got a fantastic story to tell. And he is right now in... Uh, the good old U of K, the United Kingdom, where he escaped to many years ago. You've maybe seen that show, Escape to the Country. Well, that's kind of what he did. He escaped to the other country. Sheridan Voisey, great to have you with us again, mate. Oh, good to be with you, Phil. Good to be back with the Vision Radio Network family as well. And yeah, escaped, that's probably like it. Um, you know, a couple hundred years ago, they're saying a whole bunch of people kind of did the opposite back to Australia. So I'm just returning the favour, really. <laughs> Now there is a great backstory behind you know how you ended up in the UK and all that. We'll get we'll get to that in due course. Uh, but right now, I think the most important thing is to recognise where you actually are at the moment and why you're not sitting in your own home right now, are you? Oh, I'm not. No. One of the lovely things about moving to the UK is that I finally was able to to live in a, a terrace house. Phil, I've always wanted to live in a terrace house because in Australia, the terrace houses are always the really nice old houses that are normally right in the centre of the city, whether it be Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, wherever. Uh, well, here, of course, they're everywhere. And so we finally bought ourselves a little terrace house. It's 150 years old, which sounds exotic, but it's not here in the UK. It's needed some degree of renovation. And so we are in the midst of that. What we thought was going to be a three-month project is currently running on about four and a half. (laughs) So I'm now in house sit number five because our rental ran out and we have had to basically be nomads for the last four or five weeks going to house to house for a week at a time, packing up the dog, packing up the office packing up our, sh- our sh- shoes and our clothes and uh, making our way to number this number five. So this is number five. Yes, indeed. Number five. And um, gosh, I'm hoping it ends soon. <laughs> well, I'm guessing you're getting an appreciation for what it's like to be homeless to a certain degree. I am. I am. Much, it, it, indeed, there are people who are far worse off than me who actually do go out without a home. So I'm very, very mindful of that. I'm probably particularly sensitive to those people who are living out of their cars because you just realise how much you want stability in some kind of way. Mm. You want you want to have a place where you can always go and get your clothes rather than, oh, that's right, I've left the suitcase somewhere down the road because it won't fit here. So I'm very mindful of the fact that there are so many people far worse off than we are. Mm. Well, we're in for a good time this morning, as I said, as far as uh, story is concerned. And part of the story for you right now is something new that you're doing. You're in the middle of a renovation. You're also in the middle of starting a new non-profit, so a, a charity which is still waiting for all the ticks to come through from the regulator and, and all of that. So there's, there's a lot of limbo going on in your world just at the moment. 
It really is, yeah. Yeah, it's called Friendship Lab. And about three years ago, maybe even more now, I um, I really felt this kind of calling to focus on this big problem we have. Of course, everybody knows about the rising loneliness rates that we have in Australian society, British society, American society. And with that, the rising friendlessness rate as mm. well. And at first, I thought it was just going to be a book. I'd, I'd go and research a book on adult friendship and how we can make it thrive. Anyway, Phil, it's turned into a charity. So uh, here we are launching an organization which is all about indeed empowering men and women with the wisdom and skills to make their friendships thrive, uh, primarily through evidence-based courses, but also we'll be doing research and um, uh, thought leadership and media, etc., etc. So it's a wonderful journey, very unexpected. And um, really does have the the call of God in it for me because it wasn't something I was planning, I was expecting, uh, but certainly something that I'm being drawn along with and to. So Mm. it's a lot of fun. Sunday Morning Together with Phil Edwards on Vision Christian Radio. Lovely to have Sheridan Voisey as my guest today. He's uh, not in the studio. In fact, he's not even in the country. He's in the UK where he lives. Uh, He's an Aussie son, though, through and through. And um, he he's had a few surprises over the last few years, uh, one of which I guess was moving overseas in its first instance, uh, Sheridan. You weren't expecting, though, to start a charity, you just said a moment ago. You thought it would be a book and somehow it became a whole different thing. Um, just, again, unpack this whole idea of what you're doing and what drives you with this. You know, it's all about friendship. It almost sounds like a dog to me, actually, the Friendship Lab. It sounds like a dog, did you say? Yeah, well, a Labrador, you know. You get this, uh... Labrador. Of course I've got it. <laughs> I love it. I've never heard that take on it, but I'm going to enjoy that for the rest of the day. Thank you, Phil. That can, that can be the book cover, you know. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> well, well, dogs are nice, friendly things, aren't they? Yeah, it's really interesting how God calls us, isn't it? So I... I was heading up to a major birthday. Look, it might have been 50, but hey, I know that I don't look that old. So I was <laughs> making my way out to a retreat center. I wanted to have a day retreat with God and just pray through, Lord, what do you want of my life the, the next half, if you like? Um, do I keep on doing what I've been doing? Do I keep on doing the you know writing books and speaking and then doing the radio stuff? Or do you want me to do something else? And so I was away on this retreat and... I asked myself this question prayerfully, uh, if Sheridan, you could address one major issue in society right now and you could have a crack at solving it, what would it be? And I was really praying that through, Lord, what, what should my answer be? And the issue of loneliness and friendlessness really came through very strongly. So I wrote all that down. I journaled um, significantly uh, all about that, and I went away. Again, that's when I was assuming that I was probably going to just work a a book and write a book on adult friendship. I went back for another retreat, maybe about six months later, and uh, was kind of praying through, okay, Lord, when we write this book, how are we going to get it out there? How are we going to get it to the people who need it? And that's when I really felt the voice of God say, Sheridan, you're thinking far too small. What if instead of focusing on writing a book, you instead focused on the figure of 25%? 25% currently is how many people in Australia say they have no one to talk to or turn to. It's also echoed in the United Kingdom. Around about 25% of people have no close friends. The number of people in America is somewhere about the same who have got no flat, no close friends. In fact, the number of people who say they have no close friends has quadrupled since 1990. Mm, wow. So we've got a huge issue there. Yeah. What if, Sheridan, your focus was to be how to reduce that number 
instead of just getting a book out. Well, then I realized actually a book was only going to be one part of a much bigger equation. And that was the beginning of thinking, wow, we're going to have something much bigger on our hands than simply a book. Mm, that's, uh, I can try and put myself in your shoes there. I was like, okay, think bigger. Where do I start with this? Because it is such a huge thing. You think of those numbers, 25% of where you are, say, in the UK, there's, what, 65 million people or something in, in the UK. Do the numbers. That's a lot of people. Uh, in Australia, do the numbers here. It's a lot of people. Did you did it come together for you quickly? Well, at that stage, it was in that delightful dreaming with God kind of moment. You know, it's later on when you're starting to pull a board of trustees together, when you're having to get a constitution together, having to do applications to charities commissions over here in the United Kingdom together, when you're having to think through the finances and all of that, then it gets a little bit more difficult. At that stage, it's like, okay, what would that require? A book being read by a few thousand people is not going to bring that rate down. It would require media campaigns. It would require courses. It would require podcasts. It would require arts collaborations. It would require writers and poets and a whole bunch of everyday people all getting together to be part of a movement that was seeing adult friendship actually be raised to the fore. Um, at that time, it was just a lot of fun. It was scary. Yes, it's been later on, Phil, as then you're trying to get the trying to put the boots on the ground, then you realise, oh, goodness, what on earth have I taken? Maybe I should just go back to writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> what have I got myself into? But, I mean, friendship is, is at, totally at the core of our being. And ultimately, friendship with God, the restoration of that relationship with God, and very shortly we're going to be taking communion together, and that's an act that's really at the heart of that relationship, uh, isn't it? Do you see, is there a parallel here between these two things? Very much so. We are relational beings because we are made in the image of a relational God. So God, by his very nature, is relational, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God wants relationship with us, so he breaks every barrier possible to forgive us of our sins so that we can come into a relationship with him, back into reconciliation with him. But of course, it's never been only a vertical relationship. It's always been a horizontal relationship so that as we are reconciled with God, we are reconciled with each other. And what is the nature of the relationship that is best amongst human beings? Yes, romance is wonderful. That's fantastic. Uh, yes, business relationships have their place. We need those. But actually, what happens when the romance struggles? What happens when the business goes south? Well, that's when we turn to our friends. And I think friendship probably is maybe our greatest love because mm. it is, is the foundation of relationship. It's the foundation of romance. It's the wonderful essence of trust when it comes to doing business with other people. And so we need to focus on that. And I think I think friendship actually is the relationship of heaven. Mm. And so uh, our relationship with God is the foundation of our relationship with each other. As we learn to trust and love and give to and receive from him, we're learning how to love and trust and give to and receive from our friends. So how do we best then prepare ourselves for what we're about to do with communion? Thinking through that this really is an expression of our friendship or our relationship with God and, and coming to him. Yeah. Well, very practically, if you haven't already got them, go and get yourself some bread. Go and get yourself the, the juice or the wine that you'd like to use for us to, to use in just a few moments' time. Um, and just start to pray about your relationship with God as friendship, as we'll talk a little bit later on this morning, that the great God of the universe, the one who flung the stars into the sky, comes to us and says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. This is a profound idea that we could be friends with God. 
So just for a moment, I want you to think not so much about you being the child of God and God being your father or any of the other metaphors we find in the Bible, but just think for a moment about you being the friend of God and let's take that into communion. Sunday Morning Together on Vision Christian Radio. Phil's my name. My guest this morning is Sheridan Voisey. He's an author, a broadcaster, uh, an all-round good guy, I must say. He's just got a great heart. As we're about to hear on display, as he leads us through communion. Good time now to prepare ourselves toward that. If you've got some elements ready, uh, just have them there. But if not, that's okay. Lean on in. Be part of this. Bring your heart, because that's actually what God is most interested uh, in. And we can all take part in this together. I love how we can do this. So uh, to lead us in communion this morning, it's over to you, Sheridan Voisey. Hmm. And what a privilege to do so as well. You know, right now, the moon is spinning around us at 3,700 kilometers an hour, while we are spinning around the sun at 106,000 kilometers an hour, while our sun spins around our galaxy at 777,000 kilometers an hour, while our galaxy, one of 100 billion other galaxies, is racing through the universe at 1.6 million kilometers an hour. Just imagine all of those galaxies twirling around like carousels. And the one who's making it all happen calls us his friends. Aristotle, the great Greek thinker of eons ago, famously said that no one can be friends with a God. And he's right. Friendship requires equality. And what God would step down from their high heavenly status and put themselves on an equal footing with feeble earthly human beings? Well, if Aristotle had been in the room when Jesus offered that very first Lord's Supper, I think he'd either have scoffed or he'd have run home to rewrite his philosophy books. Because during the Lord's Supper, the one the book of Hebrews tells us is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, the one the book of Colossians says created all things in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, The one Philippians describes as being in very nature God, but who humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant and came down to our level as a human being. This one looked each of his disciples in the eye and said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, this is profound, friends. It really is profound. And as you get your bread and wine or juice ready, I'll just invite you to reflect on a few things. Reflect on who is in the room with Jesus, that very first Lord's Supper. You'll see Matthew, the Roman-friendly tax collector, and he'll be sitting right alongside Simon, the Roman-rejecting zealot, people from both ends of the political spectrum. You'll see James and John, the extroverted sons of thunder, sitting right next to Philip, maybe introverted, so quiet we barely hear anything about him at all in the gospel stories. Jesus brought people together from both ends of the political spectrum, people with different temperaments, different different personalities. He pulled them all together into the same room and made them friends. Now reflect too on what will happen when they leave that room. They'll head to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will ask those very same friends to pray. And instead, in his very moment of need, they'll fall asleep. Within hours, Judas will have gathered a group to ambush him. Peter Peter will have denied knowing him and all the others will have run for their lives, leaving Jesus to face an unjust accusation, a fake trial, and then death on a Roman cross all by himself. Now reflect on Jesus, creator of galaxies, 
holding that bread and wine out to his friends. The bread, he says, represents his body that will be given to others to break, a very result of him coming all that way from heaven to earth to meet us as equals. The wine, he says, represents his blood, which will drip for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know, I have a hunch that if we had been there in that moment 2,000 years ago, it may well have been us falling asleep in the garden. It may well have been us denying him. And it may well have been us running for cover instead of owning his name. Gosh, what, what sins that would be against him. And no doubt... It's been us who've sinned against each other as well. We've sometimes demonized those we've disagreed with, whether politically or doctrinally or socially or whatever. Sometimes we look down on others that don't look or sound or think like us, and we've done all manner of other sins against each other. And this is, of course, what communion is all about. So take that piece of bread in your hand now. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So let's eat together, praising the one who died for us. And now take the drink. He took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So friends, let's drink together, praising the one whose death in our place and resurrection from the grave has forgiven us of all sins. Let's pray together. Lord, your life, your death, your resurrection has forgiven us of our readers from their power. It has cleansed us from their stain. It's reconciled us to Father God and to you and to the Holy Spirit and to each other. You have made us friends of heaven and friends of each other. Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to extend that reconciliation to others this week, lowering every dividing wall to be people of grace and mercy and friendship. We pray, Lord, for the empowering of your spirit for this, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. It's uh, about five to nine if you're in the east, five to seven in WA, and that's where my guest and co-host hails from originally, Sheridan Voisey. These days lives in the UK, and we're going to hear Sheridan's story coming up very soon. Uh, But I want to ask you first, Sheridan, that um, most people, when they think about the UK and the name Rupert, Probably a certain media mogul comes to mind, but for you, it's a totally different thing, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it's funny. Um, Actually, just for the record, I am originally a Queensland boy. I actually was born and raised in Brisbane, 26 years in Brisbane, only six and a half in Perth. Okay. Then five years in Sydney. And now, what are we up to? 12 years in the UK. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm from anymore, Phil. But, uh, yeah, Rupert, indeed. When we came to the UK, Marin and I, <clears throat> some listeners will know that, you know, part of our backstory is trying for 10 years to have a family and not being able to. And when we first came to the UK, it was really for Marin, my wife, to, to, to have a kind of a, a new beginning in particular. And my goodness, hasn't that gone from strength to strength? She has worked with the uh, University of Oxford um, and has done some amazing things from that point on. But when we came over here, I think it was probably in the first few months, we kind of said, you know what? Okay, if we're not going to have a a family, well, we need to have a dog. (laughs) 
And we started saying, well, what are we going to talk, call the dog? Well, we're in the UK now. We need to give him a good British name. So what's a good British name? Well, I'd like to call him Rupert. And his second name is Reginald. Ah. And then we thought we'd throw in a bit of Scotland there. And his surname is McScruffy. So Rupert Reginald McScruffy is his formal name. <laughs> How often do you use the full name, though? I mean, what does the dog have to do in order to for you to use? Because I remember my mother when. When I was in trouble, and I'm the youngest of six, she'd go through the whole family, girls and everything, before she got to me. So, you know, how does it work? <laughs> well, generally, that's right. He, he responds to Rupert. But yes, indeed, if he's really naughty, it's Rupert, Reginald McScruffy, get here right now. <laughs> Just like mum. <laughs> Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. How did an Aussie boy from Queensland end up in the UK via Western Australia and New South Wales and a whole lot of things along the way. So, Sheridan, just, you know, you did correct me, but where exactly were you born and into what context? What was family life like for you? Yeah, so um, Brisbane Mater, I was born in 1972, August, and mum and dad, who had moved from the UK in 1970, so only been in the UK for a couple of years. So it's a kind of a thing. They, they came out here in 1970. We moved back in uh, 2011. Um, so I, I do have a British passport. So I'm actually dual citizenship. So I can actually say to the Brits, hey, I'm one of you. I can go back home to Australia and say, hey, I'm still one of you. <laughs> so, but have they have they treated you as one of them though? I mean, you you know they see you as being from the colonies, or genuinely, you know, you are one of us. <laughs> well, it's somewhere in between because I, we have been so well embraced here in the UK, and and rapidly too. It really wasn't. I think that's also a part of being a part of a good church, which is just so important. Wherever we've moved, it's been so important to find a local church to be part of and that's how you start connecting with the broader society i really feel for those who don't choose to do that because it's hard to then find your feet Mm. in a brand new community but you know churches are everywhere around the world and they're a family of god we can straight away integrate with Mm. um but there is still a sense in which when you do talk you do you're very mindful of the fact that with an accent like this even though mine's you know a little bit smooth a little bit softer australian accent than others um there is always a sense in which people will say oh yes well i've been to australia you'll find that the conversation goes back to australia in some kind of way because they kind of still see you as an australian so it's somewhere in between and i know that it's the same for africans who come to australia uh, for americans for canadians who maybe have lived in a country for decades but you've still got that accent the conversation still goes there yeah so let's go back to 1972. Uh, brothers, sisters, uh, what sort of family life was there for you? I am the eldest of just two, okay. and there's 13 years difference between wow. my brother and I. Yeah, my my mother had numerous health conditions, but primarily a very, very bad back. And so she just wasn't going to be able to carry another child. That's That kind of got better for a little while. And so my my mum gave birth to Tristan, my brother, when she was 45. So it's quite mm. a quite a wonderful story. And But in many ways, then, my brother and I have kind of grown up as only children. In fact, that's what psychologists will say, you know, is that when there's that level together, that kind of distance, then you kind of do, even though I was his elder brother and I took him out for outings and, you know, all of that, because of the age difference, that was kind of what it's like, which is a very unique kind of setting Mm. in the situation. I can relate a little because there's actually 13 years between myself and my eldest brother. I'm the youngest. 
uh, and whilst there's you know a bunch of siblings in between, my relationship to him is is probably you know really looking up to him more as a bit of a father figure. Not that my father was absent, but there, it's less of that you know kinship of a brotherhood, so to speak. Um, so you were born in Brisbane, and then you found yourself in Perth. Um, so you know how obviously that was. Uh, you were a young man by that stage when you got there. Was that then family who took you there? We, uh, 1999, for my very first full-time radio job. Right. So I had been um, working part-time in Christian radio in Brisbane for several years, and then it was over to Sunshine FM in Perth, and it was my wonderful first uh, kind of full-time gig doing mornings over there and really getting my teeth into interviewing. Mm. Now, now, speaking of interviews, and this is uh, not necessarily a sequential thing, but I, an interesting fact, you've done over 2,000 interviews uh, across the course of your you know, broadcasting career. It's, it's a lot. Is there one that really sticks out for you as going, oh, this is the most memorable? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, there's a couple. Um, one was Richard Foster, who some will know is the author of a very well-known book called Celebration of Discipline, and others as well. He was memorable because he'd been so hard to get. I think we'd chased him for about six or seven years. And Phil, I'll never forget the first rejection email I got from his uh, PA. She said, Richard's clearness committee have met together and discerned from God that he isn't to do any media for the next 12 months. <laughs> and so he had this group of people who would gather together with him to pray through his schedule and get clarity, clearness, clarity on what he was and wasn't to do. Huh. Now, how can you argue with that? I know. <laughs> how can you argue with that? <laughs> so that was, that's one that stands out to mind. And he was a wonderful interview once we, once we did get that. You're just somebody who has just spent decades just walking with God. Um, the other one would always be Adrian Plass, British comedian, mm. um, humorist, poet, author, um, still going strong, you know. Uh, he's well, well, well into his 70s now. But he would be one who, whenever you ask him a question, he would come out with this, some sort of amazing story. And I remember one in particular. I asked him about a book that he'd written called um, – the Horizontal Epistles of Andromeda Veal. <laughs> Isn't that the best title for a book? And it's all about this little girl who's in a hospital, and then she's kind of wrestling with who God is, what he's like, uh, the church, what they're like, um, Christians, people, all kinds of questions that she gets, because she's very young and she's asking these questions. And, uh, and I asked him about the origin of this little character, and he said, well, I think probably she was the daughter that I never had at the time. I have since then had my daughter. But at the time, it was the daughter that I never had. And I had this beautiful moment where he talked about the fact that all of us are like children walking across the precinct, you know, walking across, um, walking, walking across the park, holding our daddy's hand. We can't see beyond his needs. We just need him to be there with us and us to be there with him. He had these beautiful turns of phrase and, of course, very funny. But I think that's the thing with Adrian Plass. There's that mixture of he'll say something profoundly funny and then he'll just hit you with, with some something sort of profound. profound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful title. Uh, the Horizontal Epistles of Andromeda Beale by Adrian Plass. Beale, if you wanna, that's it. If you want to uh, look that one up. But uh, Sheridan, I'm interested to know how and when you and your lovely wife, Merrin, met? 
Mm. We met when we were still in Brisbane, and this was around 1995. Gosh, Phil, I'm starting to feel old even talking about <laughs> dates that <laughs> happened in the 90s. And um, I was a student at the Bible College of... That's right. That's right. I was a student at the Bible College of Queensland, now called Brisbane School of Theology. And um, Merrin came along uh, in that year, 95, and we were just simply students together. I was actually going out with somebody else, had been going out with somebody else for about a year. And that relationship ended. And um, just one day we got chatting. I didn't think very much about it. And then a bunch of us students all went up to Noosa for the day. And I don't know, Phil, there's just one, sometimes those days, isn't there, where something, <laughs> you say something and they say something back and you say something back in return and you just go, oh, God, I think I'm feeling something different here. <laughs> and that was the beginning of us thinking, oh, I wonder whether there's some interest in that behalf. And there certainly is on mine. Mm. And then there came a time where there was a, a dinner at Southbank. Took Merrin off to a dinner at Southbank. Brisbane listeners will know the wonderful South Bank, um, right along the Brisbane River. And we went out to dinner. And as a result of that dinner, we both kind of held hands for the very first time and said, yep, I think there's something here. And that was the beginning of our relationship. And the start of a wonderful adventure. And we'll get into some of that shortly. But that was near to a time that um, you, it was a direction you thought you were going when you were at Bible College, or perhaps it was Bridal College uh, for you. But um <laughs> You thought you were going into the direction of ministry and as starting as a youth pastor, how did that go? Yeah. So I knew I had a call to radio. And then when it came time for me to graduate, there were no jobs open in radio and I definitely needed to get some income somehow. During my Bible college time, and often happens actually when you go and do some kind of some sort of ministry, some sort of ministry training, you find the other gifts that you have. And I learned that I did have a pastoral orientation towards people. I did care. I, I wanted to teach and I wanted to help people to really grasp the, the things of God and to really live them out. And so um, I heard about this opportunity for a job as a youth pastor up in Redcliffe. Um, and I applied for it and I got it. Now, Phil, I did not have any experience in youth <laughs> ministry at all. Remember, our last few breaks back, we were talking about the fact that I was largely an only child for 13 years. And then after that, you know, so I was kind of somewhat, something of a loner. I was pretty good at teaching. I was pretty good at preaching. I was pretty good at gathering people together. All of that was fine. But my goodness, I have got the utmost respect for youth pastors and have forevermore. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. We saw the youth group kind of multiply. I think we had about a couple of hundred, I thought 100, 120 kids, I think, in the end who were in the youth group. So it was fairly significant. And we had, you know, started youth services on Sunday nights and there was youth leadership teams and all these wonderful things. But I lasted 18 months before I burnt out <laughs> big time. <laughs> well, they put it, chalk it up to experience there as far as you finding where your footing was, which did put, put you into broadcasting uh, and took you around the country from Brisbane to Perth, where you spent a number of years, and then to Sydney and hosting a national radio program, and then to where you are today in the UK, but not with broadcasting. And you and your wife, Merrin, you've had this journey uh, along the way. There's been lots of of ups and downs, shall we say. And if we could just go to that point where you were in Sydney and you had to make the decision, do we move overseas or not? And the reasons behind that, because I can understand for you as a husband, as a man, it was probably a very tough decision that you had to work through because it's almost like the roles had reversed. Hmm. Yeah, I'm 
grateful that these days are no more, but it's great to be able to look back and see that even though you couldn't see the hand of God at the time, you can now certainly see the hand of God in retrospect. So we had ended 10 years of trying to start a family. And at the very end, our last embryo as a result of IVF had been transferred. And on that, we had been told that we were pregnant. And there was jubilation amongst our family and our friends and everybody who'd been walking with us for the last decade. And then on Christmas Eve of 2010, we received a call from the nurse at the IVF clinic saying that she was so sorry, but we weren't pregnant. And so with that crushing fall after, I mean, how cruel is that to be waiting 10 years, be told, yes, you're pregnant, and then say, sorry, you're not. That was difficult. And as a result of that, it was when we kind of, we were in Brisbane, actually, Christmas Eve, Brisbane. And when we had that call, we actually packed up that night and started driving the 13 hours back to Sydney that very night. Um, Stopped halfway in Coffs Harbour. Yeah. It's a long story, but we went to ground for about a week before we then told everybody. Mm. And it was during that time that Marin said, okay, well, I really need something else. If we're not going to have a family, I need some sort of consolation prize. And the only other thing that Marin had wanted to do was to live and work overseas. And so she really wanted to go to Europe. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. You're absolutely right, Phil. It was a very difficult decision. Personally, it was difficult because life at that stage, ministry-wise, was going really well for me. I had books being published. Anybody who's tried to publish a book knows how difficult that is. I had that. I had wonderful speaking opportunities. Parliament House. I had this radio show called Open House, which aired on Vision Christian Radio for for some years, uh, which itself was a 10-year dream that had come true. That was going really well. I didn't want to leave Australia, but... How do you look your wife in the eye when she's been denied the very thing that she's really, really wanted and then say, well, I'm not going to at least give you the second thing that you've wanted. So that's how the decision came about. And the first two or three years over here, Phil, were really, really difficult because I didn't know who I was, what I was supposed to do with my life. My calling seemed up in the air. My identity was shot through. Uh, So there was a cost to it. But seeing what God has done since particularly through Merrin's work. Merrin ended up, over a period of time, being, I guess you could say, trained up to finally then take a huge role at a time of great global crisis. But also then with the release of Resurrection Year, a book that was telling our story about um, infertility and how do you start again after broken dreams, the fruit that that has borne and the doors that it has opened to go and help other people get through a variety of broken dreams, not just infertility, but divorce, losing a dream job, never getting the dream job, never having their dream music career start, all of those kinds of things has been immense. So I guess the lesson is you you follow God through the wilderness and see where he leads you to through that and what he does in and through you as a result of that wilderness experience. Go back. Do you remember that time when you got off the plane and you, you were trying, you know, it's like, okay, we've got this new adventure, but we don't know what's ahead. Do you remember what you were thinking? <laughs> I remember when we got to Heathrow and then there is, um, or there was a coach line that took you out to Oxford called the X90. And so we'd worked out, you know, where to pick up this coach, the X90, get on the bus and uh, make our way on our way to, to Oxford, you know, this city that we'd heard so much about. We hadn't visited, of course, before. And everybody, when you think about Oxford, you think about the old buildings. I mean, we've got a 1,000-year-old Saxon building, you know, in our main 
kind of shopping square down here. <laughs> and you think about all the old buildings that have housed some of the greats over history. I mean, you just think about the scientists and the, the writers and then the those of Christian history, Tyndale and Wycliffe. I mean, they've all kind of come through Oxford. So you're thinking about that. And uh, it was a rainy day and I was thinking, oh gosh, okay, this is probably life in the UK now. Lots of rain. Goodbye, beautiful blue skies of, of, of Australia. And uh, a very chatty guy behind us in the coach actually turned out to be a pilot. And we said, oh, you know, we're just moving to the, the UK. This is our first day here. I guess we have to get used to this, don't we? And he said, don't you believe it? We have beautiful days in the United Kingdom, beautiful sunny days in Oxford. You're going to love it. So when we got to Oxford, we started driving down High Street. Every British town has a High Street. It's kind of the main road kind of going through the town. And there on the right is Magdalen College, this great old college. This is where C.S. Lewis taught for so many years. This is where he met J.R.R. Tolkien. And just to the right of it, you see the place where C.S. Lewis and Tolkien one night along with maybe Hugo Dyson, were walking around what is called Addison's Way. And that is the night that Tolkien encouraged and indeed succeeded in helping Lewis move from atheism to theism. Mm. And it's just like, that's just happening just to the right there, just as we're driving into town. <laughs> and then you work, go a little bit further up High Street, and just on the right is uh, St. Mary the Virgin Church. This is the church that started all sorts of charities like Oxfam. It's the church that John Wesley preached probably his final sermon in, in the, in the Church of England before he then left to start the Methodist Church. This is where C.S. Lewis preached a very famous sermon called The Weight of Glory. And then you turn around to the left and you go past St. Aldate's. And this is, you know, so all these wonderful people from church history happened right here. And then we get to our little suburb and uh, it's just average Englandsville, if you like, you've got the great and you've got the ordinary. And isn't that just like life? You've got the great, you've got the ordinary. <laughs> and so much of uh, Oxford epitomizes that. Yeah. And look, there's been that in your life and I think all of ours where there's the great at times uh, and the ordinary. But I can see you've seen some really great things that, that have happened that as God has led you, as you've walked through different doors uh, and opportunities that have come up, not only in your writings you alluded to before, uh, through your Resurrection Year uh, book has opened so many uh, opportunities. But you've had opportunities with the, the BBC as well. The amazing thing about the United Kingdom is that as much as you could say it's a post-Christian country, in many ways it's far more secular even than Australia. Because of that connection with Christianity for so long, the, the, the ties haven't been thoroughly cut. And so what you find is that a very large radio network like BBC Radio 4, which is kind of like news radio, I guess, in Australia, but listened to by 8 million people, you have a little spot called Thought for the Day. And that's originally, it was always Christian ministers. These days, it's multi-faith. A little God spot, basically, at 7.30 in the morning. Now, Radio 2 is another very large BBC radio network, um, and it's kind of like a contemporary radio uh, station. And also in its breakfast show, quarter past seven, you have a little spot called Pause for Thought, and that's also a God spot. Well, I've been one of the presenters of Pause for Thought now for something like 10 years, and it's profoundly wonderful to be able to walk into the giant BBC, walk into these huge radio stations, 
with these very, very big personalities and in the middle of a breakfast show that is reaching 8 million listeners, 8 million secular listeners get to go and bring a little gospel message. Now, it's profound. Hasn't been ever done in Australia, and I wish it was, but that's a wonderful opportunity. So that's something that I get to do regularly and um, absolutely relish every moment that I get to do that. Sheridan Voisey is my guest and co-host today. He's uh, beaming in live from the mother country, so to speak, from the UK. He's there in Oxford, but he's an Aussie through and through. How do you maintain your Aussiness, by the way, your connection to Australia while you're you're trapped there in England, Sheridan? (laughs) Well, three things. Cherry Ripes, Tim Tams, and Promite. Okay, all right. (laughs) Whenever any family or friends are visiting from Australia, we say, please bring us those three things because we can't get those three three things there. So I know I go deep sometimes, Phil, and there we go. That's my deep way of answering your question about staying Australian. Well, you're one of these Promite types as well. You know, there's always been that argument in our house of whether it should be Vegemite or Promite. But um, Mm -hmm. anyway, I see which side of the fence you're on. You know where I land now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, let's land this plane uh, in your story here right now. You moved with your wife, Marin to the UK. It was about 12 years ago, wasn't it, that you, that you went over there? That's right. And, uh, you know, God's opened up lots of opportunities for you in writing and broadcasting and speaking. And you thought you were going to write another book, but it turned into something entirely different. Hmm. Yeah, so there I am, you know, the second retreat that I was having to kind of work out what should I focus the rest of my life on, Lord? You know, I'm I'm, I'm crossing the the, the five-zero line, what should I focus on next? And thinking originally that I was going to write a book on adult friendship, it's turned into this uh, non-profit, this charity called Friendship Lab and friendshiplab.org if you are interested. We have never been taught how to make friends. It just somehow is part, it's just considered in our culture that you just by osmosis kind of capture these ideas and these skills about how to connect with other people. Well, that's all fine until you leave university. University and high school are the golden age really for friendship. It's when you're around people all the time, you've got generally the same pattern, you can bump into each other multiple times a day sometimes. That all changes once you leave university. And you maybe move for work. Maybe you then get involved in a career and it takes a lot more of your time. Maybe you marry. Maybe you have children. And before you know it, you have got a lot less opportunity to cultivate your friendships. This is where Friendship Lab steps in because adults have never been taught how to make friends. 25% of the Australian public say they have no one to talk to or turn to. And yet we don't talk about, well, what does friendship actually entail? What is friendship in the, in the start? What actually is the definition of friendship? So that's really where this has kind of taken off. And the wonderful thing is we've been able to, I've kind of spent the last two, three years working on a six-session course. And then we had a university come in, the University of Leicester, who said, well, we would like to do a formal study to see if that course actually does help people. So that happened uh, across April and May. And the full report is due out in November, but the initial results have been exceedingly good. So all we need is to come together and have a little bit of a chat about what friendship is and not only how to make friends, but how to deepen the friendships we have. And there are a few little hacks that we have, a few little uh, tips, and it doesn't take very much. We just need to be intentional about it. And if we roll out more of this kind of thinking about how adults can make their friendships thrive, then we'll start to bring that 25% rate down. Mm. I love your mission or your vision rather for Friendship Lab, uh, Lab, and that is to 
to see a day where every person has at least three 2 a.m. friends, someone you could call, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, everything's turned to custard, and, and they're happy to take your call. Isn't that the catalytic question for all of us? Who can you call at 2 a.m. when everything has gone wrong? Because not only it makes us think about, okay, who have I cultivated a friendship that is deep enough for me to call them at that moment in my greatest moment of vulnerability, but also who who would I dare to call at that moment when it's at their greatest moment of um, being put out, mm. you know, in the middle of the night? Mm. Who would I feel comfortable calling? It would have to be something pretty serious. So it's turned out to be a key catalytic question for me. And if we can all have at least three of those people, then we're doing very, very well. Mm. I love what you're doing and the mission that you've got because it's such a huge issue in, in our society. It, I mean, loneliness has been described as an an, an epidemic. Uh, you think of things like the, the pandemic, you know, we're all aware of that. But loneliness is kind of this hidden thing. Uh, and it's great to say, I'll, I'll be interested to see that report when it comes out um, of, of how it's doing. Friendshiplab.org, if you want to check out more detail on that. Where do you see it going, Sheridan? Because I mean, it's one thing to kind of start something and put your effort into it and, and see some some early results. Where do you think it's going to go? Well, surprising to me, um, there is a lineup of organisations and people that are wanting to work with us. And we're not really <laughs> even officially launched yet, but the word has spread. And so there's a whole organization in Australia that want to license the material. There's a whole organization in the United States that want to do a global campaign with us. I've got doors open at the BBC um, for pitching a, uh, a documentary series. So there's a lot of possibilities that can that can go. And I really value people's prayers at the moment, actually, about what do we do first, second and third, you know, over the span of the next few years. I think there is such a hunger for us to have a conversation about friendship and such a need. We all feel it now. Even if we don't need, quote, unquote, new friends, we all feel the need to have deeper friendships. And so I think it seems to me like the doors are open for us to do some really wonderful work. I would hope that we would be able to have, in the end, churches running the Friendship Lab course as something that will reach out to the community and both connect them as a church and their community together mm. to help solve one of the great, great challenges uh, that we have in our time. I'm looking forward to that day. Sunday Morning Together, across Australia, on Vision Christian Radio. Well, it's time for something good. Sheridan Voisey, my guest and co-host today, is about to bring us the best five-minute sermon you'll hear today, and it's uh, on theme with something he's really passionate about at the moment, and that's friendship. So, Sheridan, hope you're uh, you're ready to go. I'll hand it over to you. I'm ready. <laughs> well, Phil, you led us to uh, thinking about this already, but that question: Who can you call at two a.m. when everything's gone wrong? That question. Not only is the catalytic question for me these days, it's been the catalytic question for me for actually some years. That question was first asked of me in 2008. We were sitting in a seminar and the straight talking seminar leader was raising for us the, the big questions and the challenges of being a fostering or an adopting parent. And we were wrestling with the both the blessings, but also the challenges. And that's the question she put to us. Who can you call at 2 a.m. when everything has gone wrong? Because you're going to need some support. And I remember staring at the floor, my pen hovering over the workbook, unsure of whose name to write in. Now, it wasn't that I lacked friends. 
It's just that having recently moved to Sydney, most of those friends now lived hours away. And that's when I realized I needed to get intentional about making friends because not only did they live hours away, but I wasn't being intentional about keeping in touch with those friends anyway, let alone making new friends where I lived. This is not an isolated problem. 25% of Australian Australian adults say that they have no one to talk to or turn to. 30% say that they are regularly lonely. Around 51% of us say finding that making new friends is actually hard. And that's, if you're in that category, well, don't worry, you are not alone. But the question we have to ask is why? Why are we having such a challenge with adult friendship these days? Well, we could point the finger to many, many reasons. Busyness, toxic individualism, the political polarization that's tearing us apart right now. But one very overlooked reason is so simple, and that's neglect. Friendship has been overlooked in our culture for decades because our eyes have been on another kind of love, the love that is called romance. Now you take a look at your music playlists or look through your CD collection. Apart from the praise and worship, I reckon that any song that you find on friendship will probably be a mere drop in an ocean of love songs. Look at Valentine's Day, a global fest of chocolates and roses. I bet you know the date of Valentine's Day if I was to ask you it. But how many of us know the date of International Friendship Day? That's virtually ignored. Our schools have sex ed, but very little friendship ed. Our newspapers have dating columns, but no friendship columns. Even in the church, we have books and courses and ministries on dating and marriage and family life aplenty, and I thank God for every single one of them. But we have next to nothing on friendship, something Friendship Lab hopes to change. So what is a friend? Well, here I'm tempted to quote the old Jim Hayes joke. A friend helps you move house. A best friend helps you move a body. (laughs) Or to paraphrase Groucho Marx, a friend is someone who visits you in jail, a good friend is someone who bails you out, and a best friend is someone who turns to you in the cell and says, well, that was fun. Well, actually, at Friendship Lab, we work on a definition that goes along the lines of this. A friend is someone I can talk to, depend on, grow with, and enjoy. And that is a pretty important definition. Each one of those elements is important in its own right. A friend is someone I can talk to, depend on, grow with, and enjoy, and it's a definition that we can even find in Scripture. The Bible has much to say about friendship, from Proverbs about iron sharpening iron, to rich portrayals of it through the lives of David and Jonathan and Ruth and Naomi. But the theme reaches its pinnacle in John chapter 15, where Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything that he's learned from his father, he has passed on, he has shared, he has talked about with his disciples. And the deeper we disclose of ourselves, the deeper the relationship, this is someone to talk to. Then Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Well... Surely that's someone to depend on, someone we can count on, who lays down their life for us. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last. We are to be fruitful. We are to grow, someone to grow with. And he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love 
just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy, 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 someone to enjoy. A friend is someone I can talk to, depend on, grow with, and enjoy. And in one paragraph, Jesus notes the self-disclosure, dependability, growth, and enjoyment that a friendship entails. This is profound. While to monarchs we are subjects, and to governments we are voters, to advertisers we are markets, and to, mar- and to employers we are workers, to the master of all, the one who flung the stars in the sky, we are friends. And he says he wants this friendship shared. And that to me means that to be a friend is a sacred identity, to have a friend is a sacred trust, and that means friendship is a sacred calling. So, who can you call at 2am when everything's gone wrong? And who can call on you? If, like me, all those years ago, you're not sure whose name to write down into that book, well, it's time to get intentional about your friendships. Because the master of all wants us to be people others can talk to, depend on, grow with, and enjoy. The master of all, who calls us his friends, wants us to make friendship our sacred calling. Let's pray together. Lord, we are overwhelmed that you would leave your high and lofty status to come down and meet us on our level. We thank you, Lord, that we can actually call you Lord. You are Lord, you are Savior, you are indeed Master. And yet you then extend to us that our relationship goes far deeper than that. We are no longer your servants alone. We are your friends. Thank you for making us your friends, sharing your life with us sharing everything from the Father with us. And we can share everything with you, knowing that you are truly dependable, and we can enjoy you, and we can be with you forevermore. So I thank you, Lord. I pray for each one listening to us right now, all of our friends in all parts of Australia and beyond. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us reach and deep friendships that indeed are people that we can call at 2 a.m. when everything has gone wrong. And Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to be the kind of 2am friends to other people that they can have dependability in as well. We ask this in your name. Amen. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thank you so much for your encouragement about uh, friendship there, Sheridan. And it's really thought-provoking you know, about those 2am friends. And I just wonder... How many 2am friends have you got? There'd have to be a few, I imagine. And with the time difference, it makes it really easy for you. Just call them at you know, 10 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, does. it works in my favor, doesn't it? <laughs> then again, if I was to call them at midday, it'd be 2am their time. So, you know, yeah. I still might push the friendship at some stage. It's a good question, Phil. And it's one I continue to ask myself because that question was put to me, what, back in 2008. And I realized I needed to get intentional. First thing I did, by the way, and the most simple thing you can do is get to know the birthdays of your friends and put them into your diary and simply drop them a line. Just to be remembered mm. on your birthday is mm. a really key thing, very small practical thing you can do. And, and more than more than just, you know, on, on their Facebook page, you know, saying happy birthday yeah. along with everybody else. So some sort of meaningful contact, I'd imagine. Well, okay, well, here's another thing. You've taken us there another step. The last thing you then want to do is say, dear Phil, happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. Love Sheridan or whatever which is what most of us do in birthday cards or messages on Facebook or emails. That's the last thing you want to do because everybody says that. What is a birthday? 
It's a day that celebrates the birth, the beginning of somebody's existence, or at least their birth. They're existing, you know, nine months before then, but it celebrates somebody's existence. So why don't you take that opportunity to say, Phil, here's what I really appreciate about you. And I'm so glad you're in the world because of your thoughtfulness and because of your care, because of your professionalism, because of your integrity, all of those things. Now, isn't that better? Than saying, mm. hope you have a great day. Yeah. Love Sheridan. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> You've got me on a bit of a soapbox here. <laughs> well, look, let me just throw a little bit of encouragement in your direction. You know, one of the things I, I love about you is that you are very thoughtful and you've got this skill of being able to distill that down, you know, whether it's in writing or in, I guess it's writing ultimately behind what you broadcast because you've got to think about it and, and write it. But but particularly your your books. And, you know, you've written eight books, as I said before. That That's a pretty significant one. Is there one that's like your little baby, you know, that it's like, here's the one that I'm proud of the most? <laughs> there are all your little babies, as any author listening will know. The first one was Unseen Footprints, and that's probably the first the baby because I'd never written a book before, and that continues to sell 17 years later, which is great. Resurrection Year was a key one, as we've just discussed over the morning. But there is one book that really contains something of a life message for me, and that's a book called The Making of Us. And the subtitle is Who You Can Become When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. It's very much looking at the identity issues of, okay, so you haven't been able to get married, or you haven't been able to have children, or you haven't been able to have that career. You know, with each one of those dreams comes an identity. And if you haven't been able to have the identity that comes with the fulfilled dream, well, who are you then? And I think that was a key message for me and has turned out to be a key message for many other people too, is that this is the wonderful time to really discover who, are, who we are in relation to God. And we know it mentally, we know it theoretically, we've heard all the sermons about being children of God, but actually when you go through a time where you can't be who you want to be, that's when you can have an opportunity to go deep into that and it becomes more than theory. So a very special verse that um, came out of that book has become very precious for me. Ephesians 5, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. I mean, there is your identity and your mission all wrapped up into one. Mm. It's going to look a little bit different to you as it does for me and for our listener. But we are children of God, dearly loved children of God. We can go deep into that. Following God's example means taking on his character and walking in the way of love. That is our ultimate mission, whether it be in radio, whether it be in writing books, whether it be as a mum, as a full-time dad, whether it be as an engineer, as a chef, as a taxi driver, we are to walk in the way of love. So the making of us really was discovering that when life goes wrong, in God's hands, that can actually be the making of us. That mm. can be the time we discover who we really are and start living the ministry out of what God really wants to do in and through us to other people around us. And they're not theoretical writings either, yours. These are out of lived experiences and the things that you've learned through some pretty tough times, aren't they? Mm, they really are, yeah. I think I do have one or two theoretical books half written in the bottom shelf somewhere. Uh, they've never seen the light of day. No, all of these have come out of lived experience. Sunday Morning Together on Vision Christian Radio. I wonder as we look into the into the Bible, what do you reckon are the, the big friendship examples that are there, the best ones that we can look to? Yeah. Well, normally we go to David and Jonathan, and there's a beautiful portrayal of friendship there, or Ruth and Naomi, they're mm. great. 
Often when we go to the New Testament, you think of Jesus and the disciples, and that's fine. But actually, I would suggest that perhaps Jesus' closest friends were three other people altogether. These people were not part of the 12 disciples. They weren't even part of Jesus' larger group of 70 disciples. This is three siblings named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when you go to their story, often we look to their story for other reasons. You know, Mary and Martha, you kind of get that thing of, you know, whether we should be busy or sit at Jesus' feet like Mary did, <laughs> contemplating, listening to what he says. When we talk about Lazarus, we also or often think about a, a resurrection story. If you go and trace that three-episode story of Jesus' friendship with those three siblings, you'll find it in Luke 10, John 11 and John 12, you'll find some very interesting things happen. Number one, Jesus is always in their little place in Bethany. So he's always invited into their home. Hospitality is the seedbed of friendship. Then you see the language that happens. Mary and Martha, when Lazarus dies, they say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's kind of very open and honest conversation. Disappointment is being expressed. You don't find that of any other conversation to Jesus. Everybody normally comes to him with deference and they use the Lord and good teacher and master and all these things. They're expressing their heartfelt disappointment in him. That's friendship, actually. And then, of course, we get the wonderful resurrection of Lazarus in John uh, 12. And where you find that, you know, you've got these people, Mary and Martha in particular, that are kind of expanded in their faith. Martha has this wonderful conversation with Jesus where she's encouraged to have hope. He's giving her hope in the midst of her loss. So you find all the elements we were talking about a few moments ago, being someone I can talk to, depend on, grow with and enjoy, actually encapsulated in that friendship between Jesus, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. So if you're looking for a fresh take on friendship, I would definitely encourage you to go and chase that story down. Mm, that's good. I have, I've never thought about it that way. I'm, I'm just, as you said, I've always thought of the stories in those contexts, but not Really, that you know, they're siblings, and they've, they've uh, you know had this great relationship with Jesus. So it's good. Let's uh, finish things off today. Can I invite you, Sheridan, to lead us in a prayer for Australia? I think this is kind of special. You're a, you know an Aussie son. You're in the UK, and you can you can lead us in prayer this morning. You happy to do that? I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pray together. Lord of the cosmos. We are so grateful that as much as you keep the stars spinning, you're also attentive to our individual lives and everything that is going on in them right now. And so I pray, Lord, for each of us listening now, each of us that have our relationship with you, maybe each of us who are wrestling with some fact of faith, maybe have some doubts, maybe we're wrestling as to where you are in a particular given season of our life now, as we've talked about this whole morning. Sometimes you are involved in our lives and we can't see you, we can't feel you, but you're still there, you're still involved. So I ask for a, a blessing for every one of us, right at the point of need that we have, whether it be a disappointment, whether it be uh, discouragement, uh, or indeed, Lord, maybe it's we just need somebody to celebrate with us because we have some good news in our lives and we're just not too sure who to turn to to celebrate. Thank you, Lord, that you are cheering right alongside us. God, I pray for Australia. I pray for the wonderful opportunities that are there, particularly at the moment. Living here in the UK, I get to see those opportunities and I see the 
the wealth and and the, the 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 subsistence there that seems to be so strong for Australia. I pray for more of that. I pray for the challenges. I pray for the political divisions that so often are part of the news cycle, part of conversations sometimes, maybe some of those divisions that have crept into our family, friendships, um, relationships with our colleagues. Lord, would you empower us to be people of grace and mercy? Would you give us great listening ears, the ability to hold our tongues, and the ability to speak a chosen word in season when it comes to these moments of difficulty and disagreement? I pray this, Lord, because we need your power to be people of virtue And we need your love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and graciousness and self-control in our lives today. So empower us to be that so that we might reflect you, take on the image of God and help the world to find its one true source of meaning and joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great prayer. Thank you so much, Sheridan Voisey. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today, all the way there from uh, the other side of the, the world. If you want to have uh, uh, check out some more details about Sheridan, Sheridan Voisey, V-O-Y-S-E-Y, dot com, uh, or uh, the, the new startup that he has at the moment that's helping people in friendships. It's called Friendship Lab, or The Friendship Lab, and friendshiplab.org. If I was listening correctly, that's uh, the website there. Good on you, Sheridan. Thanks so much. Thanks, Phil. Great to talk to you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.